Welcome to the Sunday School lesson from Joelton Church of the Nazarene. My name is John Mills, and I'm glad that we could spend this time together. Today, we are continuing our look at the Ten Commandments, and today's lesson is on the Fifth Commandment, Honor Your Father and Mother. But before we get into the lesson, let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and to study your word, to learn from you. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would bless this word to our hearts. In your name, amen. The lesson focused today, honoring parents is an essential part of God's plan, his plan to allow us to prosper. As individuals, as a church, as a society, honoring parents is key. It's a key part of the social structure of the order that allows families and societies to prosper. You may not be aware of it, but 30 states within the United States have responsibility laws. These are laws that require a son or a daughter to financially support their parents if the parents aren't able to care for themselves. California's law reads like this, Except as otherwise provided by law, an adult child shall, to the extent of his or her ability, support a parent who is in need and unable to maintain himself or herself by work. So we can see our law says you have an obligation to support your parents. But God's word goes beyond this. We are given the commandment, honor your father and your mother. And our text today comes from Exodus chapter 20, and we're looking at verse 13. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. Now, we've looked at the first four commandments. All of these have to deal with how we relate to God. And now the commandments are shifting. The last six deal with how we relate to others, how we relate to our neighbors. You know, how are we going to live in communion? So, the first commandments are given to, to teach us, uh, well, the first commandment that's given to teach us to how to get along with our neighbor is honor your father and your mother. You know, when you look at the requirements that are given, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, uh, don't bear false witness, it's interesting that God begins with honor your father and your mother. It looks like some of these other commandments are much more serious, and God would list them first, but he doesn't. So why does God begin with this command? Why the command to honor your father and mother? Evidently, he considers it to be important. He makes it the first in this last group of commands. And I think that we have to get this command right if we are going to keep the other commandments. If this one isn't done right, if our relationship with our family isn't the way it should be, it's hard to get those other relationships right. And so the commandment to honor your parents, it embodies an attitude of respect and thankfulness and obligation. All of these prepare us to live in a right relationship, not just with our parents, but really with all of society. Now, we also get a sense of how important this commandment is because of the penalty that's attached to breaking it. 
This was a capital offense. The penalty was death. There are 36 capital offenses listed in the Old Testament. and They include things like murder, idolatry, blasphemy, rape, incest. And then when we look at these, we find among them the offense of dishonoring your parents. Proverbs 20.20 says, If one curses his father or mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Leviticus 20 verse 9, For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. Now, we miss the seriousness of this command today. Uh, The need to support parents in their old age is not nearly as great now as it used to be. You know, in our society, people have pensions, they have uh, Social Security, they have their IRAs and retirement savings. There are, are numerous resources available. In the Old Testament period, there was none of this. For the vast majority of people, life was day-to-day survival. You ate whatever you happened to earn that day, whatever you happened to grow or to harvest. One of the reasons in the Old Testament where it was so important to pay workers what you owed them at the end of each day. This was money that they would use to feed their family. And so literally, if you didn't pay them, they had no money to buy supper that night. Now, in this type of society, if you were elderly and unable to physically work, and you had no family to fall back on, this would be a disastrous situation. In the Bible, being a widow was synonymous with being poor, with being powerless, with being vulnerable. Over and over, we are commanded, care for the widows. And the understanding was, these are unable to care for themselves. Now, the family is where we first learn relationships, where we realize that we are individuals, but others are individuals too. And we learn how to deal with each other, with other people. And our family dynamics are going to color the rest of our lives. They're going to affect how we respond and react as we go through life. Each family has its own culture, its characteristic way of thinking, of feeling, of making judgments, of acting. And this is the culture that we consider the norm. We see the way that things are in our family as the way they should be. You know, our assumptions about what's right and wrong and good and bad, all of these are shaped by the culture of the family that we grew up with. And we carry this worldview into our lives as adults. In fact, we often end up teaching our children the same thing. So we can see the enormous impact that the family has upon us. As we look at this scripture today, we want to begin by looking at what the scripture says. First, we want to understand what it would mean to the Israelites when they heard this commandment. Notice, this command is not given to children. Usually when we teach this command, we do it to children. And the sense is, children, you are supposed to obey your parents. But that actually is only a small part of this command. There are no age restrictions or limitations given here. This is to apply to those of all ages. Now, we also see the command does not require parents to be worthy of honor. 
There's no distinction made between good parents and bad parents. So we aren't commanded to honor parents based on who they are, on on how they parent us. And this is part of what makes this command controversial. You know, we almost always think of parents as loving and kind. But we have to admit there are horrible parents out there. Parents who abuse their children, neglect their children, parents who've left their children damaged and scarred. So what about this type of parent? Do they deserve our honor? No, they don't deserve it, but we are commanded to give honor to them anyway. Now, finally, we notice that this commandment is left deliberately vague. There's none of the specifics attached to the fourth commandment. Uh, There's none of the specifics for the fifth commandment that we see in the fourth. The fourth commandment was honor the Sabbath. And with that commandment, we are told exactly what it means to honor. It means you're not to do any work. This day is to be special and set apart. But with the command to honor our parents, it's left as that. We are not told what it means to honor, how we are to honor. And I think there are several reasons for this. First, How we honor our parents will change over our lifetimes. As children, we honor parents mainly by obeying them. As teenagers and young adults, we honor parents by looking to them for guidance and advice. As adults, we may honor our parents by caring for them when they are in their old age. Also, how we are going to honor our parents is going to vary from person to person, from family situation to family situation. You know, there definitely is not a one-size-fits-all approach to this idea of honor. So the big question for us, what does it mean to honor our parents? How should we interpret this command? What does it require of us? I want to take two approaches here. I want to begin by defining what honor does not mean. You know, a lot of times we're able to understand a word by looking at what it doesn't mean, by pointing out uh, the, the counterexamples, by pointing out ways that we can become confused about this definition. And so, to honor does not mean automatic or total obedience regardless of age, situation, etc. Now, there are some who have interpreted the command in this way. They insist that this command gives parents, and usually its fathers, the right to dominate, to control the lives of their children forever. But I don't think you can take this if you look at Scripture as a whole. First of all, we are taught by Scripture that we are always to obey God's command rather than anything that man commands us to do. And this includes parents. Acts 5.29, Peter and John are given a command by the religious leaders. They respond by saying, We ought to obey God rather than men. And you can look at what Jesus taught. Jesus told us there would be times when to follow him would mean conflict between us and our family members. And obedience to him must take priority. Luke 12, verses 51 through 53, Jesus says, Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, 
three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And then in Luke 14, 26, Jesus follows this up by saying, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, of course, we realize Jesus is not telling us to hate our family, but he's laying out a clear principle. He must take priority even over what our family members want us to do, and that includes our parents. Now, uh, what does it mean to honor parents? Well, we are given some specific instructions in Scripture. To honor means that we don't strike our parents. We don't physically abuse them. Exodus 21, 15, Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. To honor requires us to listen to our parents, to give them a hearing. We show them the respect of hearing what they have to say. Proverbs 23, 22 says, Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Now, this doesn't require us to blindly follow their advice, but we show them the respect of hearing what they have to say and considering it. We have a tendency in our society to automatically devalue or discredit what older people have to tell us. We assume that they basically are out of touch. We want to value the young, and we see this emphasis on looking young and feeling young and acting young in our society. But we, we listen to our parents. We honor them by recognizing they have experiences that we may not have had yet. Now, to honor also means that we recognize their value. Leviticus 19.32, You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. And Leviticus 19.3, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. So we can see, when we honor our parents, we are recognizing that they have value, that uh, they, they are not inconsequential to us. To honor means that we don't mock or scorn. Deuteronomy 27, 16, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. One major way that we honor our parents is by taking care of them, by providing for their needs. 1 Timothy 5, 4 says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Paul was addressing a situation where the church would care for widows. We talked about how widows were often in desperate situations, and the church would step in and respond to this need. But Paul is telling us, if the widow has family of her own, that family, particularly if it's a church family, they should demonstrate their own righteousness by caring for the needs of those older relatives. Now, there is a danger in misunderstanding this commandment. God is giving us a broad principle here. It's not to be taken as a strict, literal response 
to any and every parenting situation. The question becomes, how do we respond to bad parents or even abusive parents? What does it mean to honor them? Nancy Ortberg writes, A lot of damage has been done in the name of obedience by insisting that abused children ignore their pain and heap false praise on their parents. And she goes on to write that it's possible to acknowledge abuse and still honor our parents. We can speak kindly, graciously to parents who have been abusive to us. We can recognize their good qualities even in bad parents. We have to understand, forgiveness does not mean that we excuse any abuse. When we forgive and honor abusive parents, this does not necessarily mean that we invite them to full participation in our lives. It may be that it's best to have limited contact with them, especially if the abuse was never acknowledged. So, we can honor and respect our parents at the same time uh, that we recognize their presence and influence on our lives may be toxic. Bad parents often start a cycle that's carried on into the next generation. Children learn abusive parenting from their parents, and they often continue it with their children. And so the abuse continues into the future. But at some point, grace needs to interrupt this cycle. One way for grace to work its way in is when we honor our parents, even those parents who do not necessarily deserve it. We're told by Scripture that there are serious consequences for not honoring your parents. When you fail to do this, be prepared to take the consequences. Proverbs 30:17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. I like the language that Scripture uses here. We, we get a very clear picture of the warning that's given to us. And then in Ezekiel chapter 22, the prophet Ezekiel is listing all of the offenses that the Israelites had committed, those offenses that had ended up getting them thrown out of the land of Canaan. And these included things like shedding blood, oppressing the foreigner, mistreating the fatherless and the widow, despising God's holy things. But what's interesting, right in the middle of this list of all of these uh, horrible things is the offense of treating their father and their mother with contempt. And so we can see Scripture dis considers dishonoring parents as an evil. In 2 Timothy, uh, Paul is describing the evil behavior of people in the last days. And he writes, People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents. And so Paul lists this right along with all of these other things. But in this commandment, we are also given something unique. It is the only commandment with a specific promise attached to it. We are told that by honoring our parents, we may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So, this promised benefit is on two levels. First, it's a blessing to society as a whole. The promise of prospering 
is linked to being able to live in the land. The Israelites would be able to stay in the land that God had given them, and they, were, they would prosper. In other words, if they were going to be the people of God, they would need to be a people who honored their parents. And if they did so, their relationship with God would remain intact. They would remain as His people, enjoying His blessing, living and prospering in the land that He had given them. But there's a benefit to the individual as well. We miss the point if we see this command as only a benefit to the parent. The point is, by honoring our parents, we develop into a certain type of person. We grow into the type of person that God can bless. So, honoring our parents is not just for their benefit. It's for our benefit as well. It allows us to live in a way that God intended. It allows us to inhabit the land, that is, to live in fellowship with Him. So, even if we don't have living parents to honor, we need to adopt the attitude that's embodied in this command. We need to be the type of person who honors his or her parents, even if we don't have parents to honor. So, we want to look at the principles we can draw from this command. What are the principles that will influence and shape us into the people that God wants us to be? First of all, we see a principle that we do not base our behavior based on how we are treated. We base our behavior on what is right, on what Scripture commands of us. This command tells us to honor our parents. It doesn't tell us honor those parents who deserve it, honor those parents who've done a good job. It tells us honor your parents, all parents, simply because they are parents. We are expected to show grace, to treat others as we want to be treated, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. And in this way, we imitate God. Matthew 5:45, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, we are not to live a tit-for-tat existence. If we do, we only end up harming ourselves. Martin Luther King Jr. has a quote that I like. He says, If we do an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we will be a blind and toothless nation. We have to be people of grace. We have to step in and stop this cycle of ungrace. And by honoring parents who don't necessarily deserve it, we can be the channel in which God's grace flows into our world, a grace that immediately sets about redeeming a fallen situation. So it's important. We base our treatment of others not on how we are treated, but on what is the right thing to do. We see a second principle here, and that is people are not valuable because of what they can do for us. Each person has intrinsic value because they are created in the image of God. You know, we don't value our parents necessarily because of all that they put into our lives. We value them because we are told to value them, because they are our parents. So, we don't use people as long as they can benefit us and then toss them away when they have nothing left to offer us. 
You know, it's a very ungrateful child who accepted the care of parents while they were young when they needed it. But when they are adults, when they're able uh, to take care of themselves, when they feel that their parents have nothing more to offer them, no way to benefit them, then they feel contempt for their parents. In our culture, we often have this utilitarian idea that people have value when they can add something, when they have something to offer. But Scripture tells us everyone has value because each one is created in the image of God. When we view people as only a means to getting what we want, what we, want we end up destroying each other. Galatians 5.15 says, But if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be consumed by each other. A third principle we see is we honor our parents, no matter who they are, because we owe a debt to them. Our parents brought us into this world. And we realize the idea of a self-made man is really a myth. None of us are truly self-made. All of us owe a debt to others who have made us what we are. We honor our parents because, at the very least, they brought us life. We would not exist without them. Look, for example, at bacteria. I taught biology for a number of years, and we would look at bacteria and how they reproduced. Bacteria reproduce by literally dividing in two. The original uh, bacteria divides to become two bacteria. Those two divide to become four, and so on and so on. Now, when you look at this, and you look at the four bacteria that have come from the one, which one of these four is the original bacteria? Well, you really can't say. In a way, they all are the original bacteria. And to a certain extent, we all are our parents. C.S. Lewis makes this point when he writes, Human beings look separate because you see them walking around separately. But we are made so that we can only see the present moment. If we could see the past, then, of course, it would look very different. For there was a time when every man was part of his mother, and earlier still part of his father as well, and when they were part of his grandparents. If you could see humanity spread out in time as God sees it, it would look like one single growing thing, rather like a very complicated tree. Every individual would, would appear connected with every other. And that makes a very unnecessary point. You know, we literally at some point were part of our mother and our father. You know, our parents brought us into this world. They gave us life. We have to understand we are connected to other people. So we're not self-made. We are who we are because of other people, because of what they have built into our lives. We owe gratitude to them, a recognition that we did not get here on our own. Otherwise, we become very ego-driven and, and our selfish natures take control. Now, another principle we see is that we honor our parents as a submission to authority. It's a recognition that we are not autonomous. We are not our own boss. 
You know, our first encounter with authority outside of ourselves is usually through our parents. And one of their primary responsibilities is to teach a child to submit to authority. The, the parents were the mechanism that God used to teach the law to each new generation. The parents would pass on the holy requirements of the law to their children. Deuteronomy 21 verses 18 through, 18 through 21 says, If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. So the Bible views this disobedience or rebellion as evil, and it requires the greatest steps in getting rid of it. This idea that we do not have to submit to authority. We cannot have a functioning society if this is the idea of its members. It's seen as such a great evil that it must be cleansed out. Now, finally, we see the principle that we often have obligations that we don't necessarily choose. We end up with obligations that we did not take upon ourselves. It's simply a part of life. It's interesting. There is a, uh, an Indian businessman named Raphael Samuel from Mumbai, and he actually sued his parents for giving birth to him without his consent. He told the BBC, it's wrong to bring children into the world because then they have to put up with lifelong suffering. Now, we have to realize we often aren't given a choice in what happens to us. We are only given a choice in how we respond to it. So we have obligations that we did not necessarily choose to take. Bob Deffenbaugh writes, There are two great tasks of raising or of being in a family, and that's raising children and caring for parents. Now, we can choose whether we want to raise children or not. We can choose whether to have children. And so we take on that obligation voluntarily. But you are not allowed to choose whether you have parents or not. If you are born, you have parents and you have an obligation to them, whether you want it or not. So in life, we have obligations that are not necessarily a choice on our part, but we have to fulfill them. So as we look at this command, honor your parents. It's far more than just a simple command for children to obey. It's a command for all of us to live in a functioning society, to live in the way that God intends for us to live, to become the type of person that God can bless and that God can honor. And so we can see why this commandment is given along with the promise, honor your parents that it may go well with you. And so, Let's keep that in mind as we go out this next week. Let's conclude with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these commandments that you've given us and for the wisdom that they uh, put into our lives and into our paths. We ask that you would help us, Lord, 
to put this wisdom to work in our lives, that we can have the blessings that you provide through obedience to your word, and we'll give you the praise in your name. Amen.